You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. I love Januarys because usually we're all together in more uh, solidified, you know, kind of congregational form. So really, really thankful for that. Um, I'm Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, I would love to get to know you. And uh, you'll hear about this at the end of the service, but some of us will be down front um, willing to pray for you if you have that need after the service today. Um, One quick meeting, and then we're going to have a short little interview. We have our family meeting, which you'll always also hear about at the end of the service. But I just want to plug this from a leadership perspective. Uh, Family meeting next week. All the details are on the screen. Um, But we really want to ask you as elders to make this a priority. And obviously... Kids get sick, we get, adults get sick, uh, trips happen, whatever. And that's totally normal. But at least we want to ask you to make a priority to engage with the content that we made available to you over Slack after the meeting. Um, because there's really important things that happen at, this, at these family meetings. I mean, it's like, it's like family time. Uh, and so we get to hear really cool testimonies about what God is doing in our midst that will encourage us. Um, some really important financial updates, uh, other really important updates about things that we're doing in terms of our mission and our vision as it's, you know, kind of expanding in Madison and beyond. And so in the attempt to keep us all on the same page, that's our burden as leaders, is to be aligned on the same page, everybody moving in the same direction. These family meetings play a really important role in that. And so if, if, you, if you can't make it, just try to engage with the content so that you're informed. Um, communication is a really big deal for us as an organization, again, to stay aligned and to stay on mission together. And so please make that a priority if you can whenever we have these family meetings about once, uh, once a quarter or, or, or every third um, of the year. So I want to invite Jen Spidall up. Um, you guys have on your chairs or near you this um, page here. And at the Vine, we have some priorities for service. And that fits into our vision, make, seeking to make disciples and plant churches among neighbors and nations. So this kind of fits under the category of making disciples neighbors. And um, one of the things that we have kind of adopted as a church is this ministry called Zeteo. Jen, let's get you a mic. How about that? <laughs> or you can just talk loud if you want. Uh, you're a mom. You can yeah. do that. Um, so what is Zeteo? Zeteo is <clears throat> this organization in Madison that is building two residential homes. And they actually just broke ground um, last year in December, so last month. Yeah, and hold that a little closer. Oh, sorry. Um, and so the two residential homes, one will be for women and one will be for women and their children. And then there'll be um, parents, or like ministry parents, that will be living on site that will just be there for them 24-7. And then um, the homes are going to be a place of restoration and healing for people who have for women who have been trafficked. Um, and so it's, it's like a, I think it's an 18-month program. Um, so it's 
really, really digging into like if they're coming in with an addiction, um, they're going to detox. They're going to detox before they come in, and then they're um, getting help throughout that whole process as well. And just like all the other resources available, there's just so many people. God is just like putting in front of Zateo who have different gifts and skills and professional um, training and stuff like that. So God is really leading this effort. Yeah, so Zateo exists to help women that have been trafficked or maybe even are being trafficked to escape from that life and be restored to a new life, right? Yes, yes, definitely. And so this house, this facility that's being built exists to just facilitate that, where they would come and live there and receive care and all that, right? Yes, and Zateo's really special because um, there's not really a place for women to go who have children where they can bring their children. Yeah. And there's not a place where they can go where people will come alongside them and help them get their children back if their children have been taken um, into the system. Yep. So, I don't know, Zateo is just, like, really precious in that regards of just, like, keeping families together and helping along that. Yeah, I mean, when you think about what human trafficking is, like, sometimes we hide behind the, we don't hide behind, but, like, we can be numb because the words human trafficking don't sound that scary. But what this really is is a lot of women are addicted to drugs because the, the man that has enslaved them have lured them in through getting them addicted to drugs and if you don't do these things that I'm asking you to do, ultimately sexual slavery, I'm not going to give you your drugs. That's one of the stories that's very common. And so this is, this is dark. This is very, very dark stuff. And what Zateo is trying to do is be a, a light in the midst of this darkness, right? Yes. Is there more that you would add to that? Like, what, what is, I mean, a lot of us would think human trafficking really in Madison. Like, maybe right. in the big cities you would think that or you know, in big cities around the world, but like Madison? Yeah, Zach, I love seeing you light up about this. Like, (laughs) do like to see the leader of, one of the leaders of our church, like, light up about this is just like so encouraging. So thank you. Um, Yeah, so I, in response to your question, um, I just like wrote down a few things that I could just give some examples. Um, So yeah, human trafficking can look a lot of different ways in Madison, in particular, um, I ju- here's just a few examples. It could be a teenage girl being groomed in a relationship she met at school, the mall, the internet. She falls in love, sneaks out at night, and next thing you know, she's in a situation she never thought possible, and the parents could have no idea this is happening. And then if you go on, she could get pregnant, and the trafficker uses not being able to see her child in order to get her to um, keep, you know, having sex. So um, another example would be a runaway teen who meets someone who offers safety. Another example would be someone addicted to substances and trafficker withholds drugs. And and this all can look like prostitution as well. And so, um, you know, Hans and I were going to a tent camp a couple years ago, and we saw uh, prostitution happening. And so it could, and that was right here in Madison. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's happening everywhere, and it can look a lot of different ways. And so for folks um, thinking about getting involved, what would be a good, and folks are already involved, yeah. but for those that aren't yet involved and would like to be, you know, what's kind of a next step? Would, like, maybe coming to this event yes. be a good next step 
Anything yeah. else you would like to highlight? Yeah, yep. So one of the first steps is learning more about the subject. So this event is special because there will be an expert who has done the research, who has listened to stories of women who have been trafficked and can teach us more. And we can just eat pizza and listen. And we can also ask questions. So maybe you are curious when would be a good time to have conversations with your kids. Um, which overflows into them being alert if their friends are in a situation. It's a ripple effect of safety. Or maybe you've heard a lot about how pornography is part of human trafficking and you battle with this issue or know someone who does. Or maybe you are just curious and love the idea of seeing people set free. This event is for everyone. Yeah. So just to be clear, uh, this event is being held right here. Yes. Okay. Um, so in case that wasn't clear... Uh, you can scan the QR code right now, and um, yeah, and, and take the sheet. Um, there's more sheets if you would like to give them out to uh, someone. Jen has more. Uh, Jackie has more. Um, we'd love to see this uh, room filled on uh, January 22nd. So, Jen, why don't you pray for us, okay. and uh, we'll move forward. Yes, and just another thing, um, I just got to give a shout-out to Jackie because she's been being amazing with setting up this event and um, just amazing all she around. is just amazing <laughs> she's been doing a lot so thank you um and then also invite your friends this is open to the community and like zach said you know this we want this building filled and it can hold up to 200 people so we're going to be handing out flyers at coffee shops everything so please come and invite your friends and people that would be interested and free dinner pizza come on <laughs> Uh, all right. Let's pray. Okay. Thank you, Lord, for um, having Zateo be in Madison where we could all just come together and um, help with this issue that is put on your heart and that you're putting on ours. And uh, just, you know, compassion compels us to act. And so, Lord, if you're putting this on our hearts, please just to have us um, be obedient and follow that response. And thank you for everybody that's coming together for this event and the volunteers and the guest speaker and the people that um, are willing to educate us more about this. And Father, if there's anybody that's in this situation right now, please just um, bring them to us. And, you know, going to this event, we'll have more resources and know more about how to act. And so, um, yeah, break our heart for what breaks yours. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jen. Let's give Jen a hand. So Jen is running point on um, this uh, Zateo as one of our serves, along with Steffi uh, Headland with, um, with Elizabeth House and, help me, Meg with Little Free Pantry, and then Internationals with Emily and her new last name. How do we say that? Is Emily here? How do you say your last name, Emily? All right. <laughs> I'm not going to repeat that. All that to say, uh, we're super thankful for our serve leaders, and those are our main uh, serve leaders. Um, so thank them when you see them, uh, especially thank Jen and Emily and Meg and, um, and, and Jen and Steffi. It's my old brain. Gosh, old brain. Uh, here we go. So um, I wanted to share something really quick. This is off script, but just kind of vision 
for what we just heard connecting to who we are as, as disciples. Um, so there's a school that meets here and at another church called Karis Classical Academy. And they've, they're in the process of trying to build, uh, not build, but to um, purchase a building. And they will be moving out of our building and having their own building. They rent for, from us right now, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And so they went to a zoning meeting uh, just recently to get the, the building and the building plans approved by the zoning committee. It's over on the west side. And part of that process is you have to have, um, give the neighbors of that community where the building is going to be, be remodeled, uh, it's changing from a church to a school, um, to have that process approved, the community has to be informed and the community has to be, be given the opportunity to give feedback about that. Well, that happened last week and there was a, a homosexual couple that came and they voiced their uh, disapproval of a Christian school being in their neighborhood because they, didn't, they said it didn't make them feel safe. And there's a lot we can say about that. Um, the headmaster of the school addressed that winsomely and, and truthfully. Um, but one of the things that I think about that's connected to our serves is there may be in some people's mind this idea that Christians are out to get them, um, are scary, um, and, and sadly, like, Christians have sometimes not done a great job showing a counter-narrative. But on the one side, when we can say, like, hey, we might not agree on sexual ethics, uh, but let me tell you about what our church is doing. Um, we advocate for women that are being trafficked. We advocate for single moms that are in crisis at the Elizabeth House. Um, you might think some things about us, and some of those things might be true. Yeah, we, we do believe there is a, a way to, to glorify God with our sexuality. And we're not going to necessarily change that. Um, that, would, that would cause us to cease to be Christians. But at least see that there is beauty in our lives that you could maybe agree with us on. And all that to say is, when we serve, it's not going to necessarily cause anyone to, like, repent and believe in Jesus. That's going to come through a clear explanation of the gospel. But it will, I think, give people the, the, uh, the ability to, to see our lives and maybe squash some of the stereotypes that might be present about Christianity in our culture. And so there's a, there's a real benefit, and there's a lot more. I could preach a whole sermon on this, but I just want you to think about that angle of it. Like, um, when, when we would talk about, in, in our old neighborhood, uh, with our non-Christian friends about some of the things that we were doing with single moms at Elizabeth House, like, they're all like, oh, that's cool. That's great. Like, you, you might not be as scary as we thought you were, you know, um, maybe there's more to this Christianity than we just assumed from this superficial, maybe media construction, right? And so that's one angle on why we serve. There's a lot more we could say. But just, I want you to consider that. I want you to see those connections. Like we're not just doing serves so that we have, we can make you guys spiritually busy. That's not what we're up to, okay? And so I just want you to hear that. And now we're going to get into our text. 
So get your Bible open to uh, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. So we're working our way through Hebrews. And I want to just bring us up to speed where we've been that leads us to verse 10 of chapter 2 today. So chapter 1 is all about the author of Hebrews making the case that Jesus is far superior to angels. Why is that a big deal? Well, because back in this time in history, there were people that were putting angels as their focus at the expense of Jesus. And we don't really know what was going on historically, but it's clear that was happening. Um, No angel worship allowed. Angels are great. They've got a, a great purpose in God's plan of redemption from beginning to end. But angels didn't die for your sins. Angels are not the unique son of God. Um, Focus on Jesus. Jesus is the focus. Jesus is the center. That's chapter one. And then starting in chapter two, he continues to make the case that Jesus is the centerpiece. And so this should give us perseverance. Okay? All throughout Hebrews, remember this. It's all about, the author's all about trying to give these people perseverance. Don't give up. Jesus is worth it. He's better than angels. You think angels are cool? Jesus is a thousand times cooler. Don't give up. He's worth it. So if Jesus is what life is all about, and we know this, and we believe this, and we trust it, and we treasure it, should this not give us fuel to not give up when life gets hard? Like if Jesus is really risen from the dead, and if our sins are really forgiven, and we really have peace with God, shouldn't this put wind in our sails to keep going? And the author of Hebrews is saying, yeah, yeah, it should. And that's where we're at at this point in chapter 2. He says, you remember a couple weeks ago I preached, uh, don't drift away. Don't drift away. Look at verse 1. Lest we drift away from it. Verse 1 of chapter 2. So Jesus is seen as crowned with glory and honor. That was last week. James did such a great job preaching that. Verse 9. And since he's crowned with glory and honor through all that he lived and, and did and said, he's worth it. And that brings us to our text for today. Look at verse 10. And we're just going to focus only on verse 10 today because it's so packed full of beauty for us to uncover. Verse 10, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Let me read that again. For it was fitting that he... For whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So first question, who is the he here? Beginning of verse 10. Who is the he? Look at it there in verse 10. So he's talking about God the Father. Now we're going to get into some Trinitarian implications here. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So God the Father, keep reading, for whom and by whom all things exist, 
He sent his son and initiated this plan of salvation. Sent his son and initiated this plan of salvation that we call what? We call it the gospel. He did it for a reason, okay? Track with this now. Lots of reasons. But the reason the author gives in verse 10 is that, what does he say? He says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. God sent his son. God initiated the gospel. Why? To bring many sons and daughters to glory. Another way to say it would be that he might restore us to glory. So thinking about restoration um, this week, and an image illustration came to mind. If you go to Paris and you go to the Louvre, the, probably the most famous art museum in the world, one of the centerpieces, one of the can't-miss sculptures in the Louvre is the winged victory here. And the story goes about 1864 in modern-day Turkey, uh, an archaeologist finds this in some rubble. And you can imagine it didn't look like this when he dug it up. He worked really hard, I'm sure, to, to piece it together, to dig it out of the ground. And, and the restoration process, you can imagine, was painstakingly difficult. And what he found might, not look, might have looked like much, but he, he saw enough that he wanted to put the work in. And hour after hour, he does that. He works hard to restore it. And now it's restored to what's probably close to its original beauty. You can go to the Louvre and, and stand, you know, 10 feet away from that thing. It's 18 feet high. And it's, it's renowned for the movement of the clothing that this uh, winged creature is wearing. It would have sat on the front of a, of a boat, kind of leading the way. It's this amazing sculpture. It's absolutely stunning. And people come from all over the world to enjoy its magnificence. And that's kind of what our text is pointing to today. See, remember, the Bible says, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and what? We fall short of the glory. We fall short of the glory of God. But our text says God is seeking to restore that glory, to bring us back to, to the original creational glory. And Jesus, he went through a lot. Jesus is the great archaeologist. He went through a lot of work to restore us to our original glory, where one day we won't fall short anymore. He made that possible. He did the work. We didn't do anything. He did all the work. Jesus tastes death for us, delivers us from the penalty of sin, which is eternal separation from God, and leads us to a restored glory. That's one of the goals of the gospel, bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Jesus, he did the hard work, and we're going to see that unpacked here in a second. 
like a great archaeologist to restore sons and daughters to glory. Let's go back to our verse. Look at verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For it was fitting. Look at that at the beginning. It was fitting. What was fitting? So you can follow the logic here. Look at the logic of the verse. It was fitting that in order to bring us to glory, Jesus, the Son, should be perfected through suffering. Now, what in the world does that mean? It was fitting that in order to bring us to glory, Jesus, the Son, should be perfected through suffering. What is the author getting at here? This is, this is hard to understand language, but it's super important, Okay. How was Jesus perfected through suffering? Why does that matter? Why was it fitting, as the author says? For it was fitting that he should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Well, let's start here. Made perfect through suffering. What this doesn't mean is that there was a time when Jesus wasn't perfect, and then some, like where he was a sinner, and then somehow he got rid of that. That's not what it means. What it does mean is basically this. At, this, at a certain point in Jesus' life, he had not yet been tested. He had not yet been tested. It's kind of like this. Like, How do you know how you did in school if you never took a test? Like if someone asked you, like, how were you as a student? What if you said, I don't really know because I never took a test. You would know that you were perfect in school if you took all the tests and got perfect scores on all the tests. Then you would be able to say, man, I did great in school. I got perfect score on every test. But if you haven't been tested, you don't really know. And that's kind of what the author is getting at here when he's talking about Jesus being perfected through suffering. It's more like he was seen by us to be perfect. He demonstrated his perfection by passing the test. Jesus demonstrated his perfection by passing the test. Well, what was the test? The test was his suffering. So the classic example that the author's probably thinking of, and many others you could come up with, is in Matthew chapter 4, it says that the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tested. And it's not a mistake that this happened right before Jesus started his formal ministry. The Bible says in Matthew 4 that Jesus was tested. He suffered. He was tested in the wilderness for 40 days. He suffered. He fasted. He was exposed to the elements. He was alone. I mean, can you imagine how I would have handled that, how you would have handled that? That's not easy. Like, a lot of us skip a meal, we get super grumpy, right? Like, if I, if I fast for a day, I, I get grumpy. And when I'm grumpy, that can lead to me sinning against, sinning against my family or anybody else. Hungry, exposed to the elements, tired, alone. You could see how that would provide a lot of reason for complaining for any one of us 
But the scripture clearly shows that Jesus passed the test. And the devil himself had a conversation with Jesus and tried to lure him into sin, and he perfectly passed the test. Jesus never failed. And he's the only one who could have done this. So through suffering like this, and in many other ways, Jesus passed the test. He demonstrated that he was perfect. He demonstrated, another way to think about it would be his fit or his qualification for being our Savior by demonstrating his, perfect, his perfection through suffering. So that's what the author is talking about. That's what he's drawing on here. So the author here is emphasizing that God the Father's plan was to restore his chosen sons and daughters to glory, and that could only happen if Jesus lived a perfect life, okay? Now, why is that important? Don't miss this now, okay? Don't miss this. What's the connection between Jesus' perfect life and us being restored to glory, to life with God? Like, why would the author want to emphasize this? I think this is a great thing for us to understand because it's greatly underemphasized, I believe, when we talk about the gospel, okay? When we talk about the gospel. And at the heart of the gospel is what Martin Luther called the great exchange. The great exchange. So the, the idea is this. When Jesus died on the cross for our sin and we come to him in faith and repentance, we receive an exchange. We get his perfect righteousness, perfect life lived, passed all the tests, perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament law. That perfection is given to us as a gift. We're united to him, the Bible says. So what's true of him is then true of us. We are one with him. So God doesn't see, our, God the Father doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus' perfect righteousness in our place. And at the cross, Jesus took on exchange again, our sin and our shame and our guilt and our punishment. He was forsaken of God, bearing the curse of sin, which is death in our place. So we get his righteousness, he gets our sin. Now here's the, here's, here's the big deal. If Jesus wasn't perfectly righteous, what can he give us? He can't restore us to glory if he's just a sinner like you and me, right? If the great exchange is just Jesus' sin for my sin, sin plus sin equals sin, and everyone goes to hell. But the author of Hebrews is showing that Jesus was shown to be perfect when he passed the test of his sufferings. So there's hope for you and I. We will be restored to glory because Jesus is able to give us his perfection. And God the Father receives it and credits his Jesus' righteousness to us. That's why we talk about the gospel is the life, death, resurrection, ultimately his return. But don't forget it's life. We, we remember, and we should, this is great, his, his death and his resurrection. We have to emphasize those. But if his life wasn't perfect, those other things don't matter. Because Jesus would be a fraud then. But the point that the author is making is your salvation is secure. 
Your salvation is secure. Jesus was perfectly righteous. So when you exchange your sin for his righteousness, you can know that God sees you as perfectly righteous. There is no condemnation left for you in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. Why? Because Jesus lived a perfect life, and that perfection is credited to you. No more condemnation. Here's two classic verses that talk about this great exchange and why Jesus' perfect life is so important. For our sake, he made him to, to be sin, who knew no sin. There's that exchange. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. You see it? 2 Corinthians 5.21. Here's another great exchange verse. This is Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. That's Jesus. It should have been us. It was him as our substitute. So so let's embrace the goodness and importance of Jesus' perfect life lived to save us. There's no being restored to glory, as 2.10 says. There's no salvation apart from Jesus living a perfect life. Okay? I want us to feel that this morning. Rejoice in that this morning. So I want to look at one more aspect of this verse, and then we'll be done. The text says, look at verse 10. Let's just read it. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through through suffering. Should make the founder. Now, he just kind of puts this word in there. Uh, But that's chocked full of implications, the word founder, the word founder. He refers to Jesus as our founder, the founder of their salvation. Another great translation, uh, other English translations use the word pioneer. Another angle on it would be trailblazer. The one who paved the way. Jesus is seen here to be the pioneer, the trailblazer of our salvation. Let's think for a little bit about what a pioneer is. Lately, I've been reading this book um, called Continental Reckoning. And basically, it's a history of the expansion of the West and how the United States developed unbelievably rapidly uh, from about 1840-ish to what we see today. I mean, the population spike was unbelievable. And this book tells that story of the development of the West, of the United States. How did our country become the way it was? Well, one of the biggest factors in all of this that a lot of you have heard of and you read about in school, might need a refresher, is nineteen forty around 1848, uh, gold was discovered in California. And that led to the gold rush. Where there's money, people will flock, right? And so thousands and thousands of people blazed a trail out west in the hopes of gold, in the hopes of free land. And, and caravans of covered wagons headed out west. Uh, tons of immigrants as well. These weren't just people living on the eastern side of the United States. These are people living across the ocean and taking boats to Galveston, Texas, and then trying to 
head west. Gold, free land, that was the sales pitch. The U.S. government wanted to make civilization out of a place that didn't have American civilization set up yet. Now, it certainly had Native American civilization set up. That's a different story, a different sermon. How would we think theologically about the hor- this horror of American history? What happened to those people? But people blazed a trail out west. Literally, wagon trails were carved into the land. And the dream was freedom and prosperity. What a lot of people didn't realize, and the bill of goods they were sold, hey, come out, gold, free land. What they were not sold is the unbelievable hardship that they would endure in that pursuit. Like, y'all ever driven through Kansas, Nebraska, eastern Colorado? There ain't nothing out there, right? There's nothing out there. There's nowhere to hide. It's just barren wasteland, right? When I think about Jesus going out into the wilderness, I think of eastern Colorado. There's nothing out there. It's a rough, hard land. You got the sun beating down on you every day. You got storms that come in on the plains, Kansas, Nebraska, nowhere to hide. There's no 911 to call in an emergency. There's no real justice system when crimes are committed. There's no hospital system set up when you get cholera or extreme infection or a high fever. I mean, they they call it the Wild West for a reason. It was truly wild. It was savagery in a lot of places and a lot of times. And then imagine crossing the barrenness of Nebraska or Kansas, and you're physically, emotionally just exhausted. And then, oh yeah, you run up against this thing called the Rocky Mountains, You ever hiked around the Rocky Mountains? It's not for the faint of heart. And if you don't get across those mountains before winter hits, you're just going to die. There is no other option. You will be dead. You will freeze to death, starve to death. And also, by the way, you're dragging all of your possessions that you value and probably some small kids with you. Like, you read about what these people endured, and it feels unbelievable that any of them actually made it. So thousands and thousands of people died along the way. I guess you can um, trace the Oregon Trail even today, and there's still graves everywhere. And those are the people that just got graves. But think of what was accomplished because these people were willing to lay down their lives. And yes, we we don't have to gloss over that this was not a pretty picture for Native Americans. We don't have to gloss over that. But we can also say that there is the blessing of civilization all over the western part of the United States for human beings to enjoy and thrive in. Like if you grew up in California, if you grew up in Wyoming or Nevada and had any sort of a good childhood, you could draw a straight line to what those people suffered 1848 
and, and beyond. They paved the way. They carved the trail. They set up the structure. Had they not done that, you wouldn't have had a great childhood in California or Nevada or Wyoming or wherever. So in the same way, it's good for us to reflect on what a pioneer is. Like the initiator is always the one who suffers the most. Have you ever like started your own business? Have you ever tried to like start a brand new ministry or start a brand new organization like a school or a hospital or whatever? Anybody who's on the front lines of starting, initiating, they always suffer the most. You take on the most risk. You take on the responsibility. You're the one that has to answer the calls and problem solve in the middle of the night when something goes horribly wrong. The leader always suffers the most, usually. And so... As we remember these things, when you think about pioneers, you should be connected to the word thankful, right? Jesus is our pioneer. Jesus paved the way. He carved out the path. That's what the author of Hebrews wants us to feel when he uses the word founder or pioneer or trailblazer. He set the direction. He endured the storms, exposure, and death so that we could be restored to glory, so that we could be sons and daughters of God. So think about trailblazers in your own life. Maybe it's a mom or dad who worked two jobs so that you didn't have to when you grew up. I got to think about a lot of ways that, you know, my life is better than my parents' was at my age. My parents were perfect. None of us are. But they worked really hard. They blazed a trail for me. I'm thankful for that. Maybe you um, have a boss at work who took on a ton of risk financially to start a new business and as a result of that, as a result of them blazing that trail, you've got a great job right now. And you get paid and you can support your family. Or maybe somebody who uh, started a construction company and they, they, they took on that risk and they started that company and they built your house. And as a result, you've got a great house now. They're a pioneer. They're a trailblazer that's, that's a blessing to you. And so you should be thankful for that, right? You should stir up thankfulness. Thank you for being a pioneer. Thank you for being the trailblazer. Thank you for taking on the risk. Thank you for enduring the suffering of, uh, the suffering of being an initiator. And so when we read this word founder in verse 10, trailblazer, pioneer, how much more should we be thankful to Jesus, the ultimate founder or pioneer or trailblazer for our salvation? So see Jesus this morning, as the author of Hebrews is laying out to them then, to us now, all of this for the sake of our perseverance, for the sake of us keep going, don't give up. He is restoring us to glory as sons and daughters of God by going before us as our pioneer to establish us as secure children of God. And in this trailblazing, founding, pioneering he never sinned. 
He did it perfectly so we can know that our salvation is secure in the great exchange of his righteousness for our sin. So let's not give up. Let's keep going. Let's keep going because Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have promised to accomplish your mission to bring us to glory, that you demonstrated that your life lived is perfect, was perfect, and that we can put our hope in the fact that the exchange of our sin for your righteousness actually is valid, that it works, that it's true. Thank you so much for calling us sons and daughters, this family language, calling Jesus our older brother. Um, May that family language also give us a great sense of security. Lord, we trust you. We treasure you in Jesus' name. Amen.